Building influence is something anyone can learn. It's an investment you can make in yourself and it can hold the keys to achieving your dreams and having the life and impact you want to have. I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. I've learned a lot over three decades about building and sustaining influence and how using it and using it effectively can make a big, big difference in your life and career. Here on She Said, She Said podcast, we're digging into the different dimensions that help us build and sustain influence. If you thought being an influencer was just for social media, think again. Whether you're starting a business, raising money for a cause, negotiating a promotion, running your household, or trying to connect with those who don't share your views, understanding and using the different dimensions of influence will increase your chances of success, whatever your goals may be. Listening to She Said, She Said podcast is a smart, efficient investment you can make in you. I'm really glad you're here and I'm excited we're on this journey together. Hey friend, welcome to She Said, She Said podcast. This is Encore episode 257. Now this week, as I continue to pull some great nuggets from a few of our past episodes this year, I found myself really drawn to so many of the episodes that showcase and focus on women entrepreneurs. While She Said, She Said podcast is much broader than women entrepreneurs, I do find that so much of the advice and the wisdom from those conversations and from the risks that these women have taken and the pivots that they make, it applies in lots of other areas of our lives and careers, and I really love it. Plus, I love supporting these amazing women, sharing their stories, their products, as the case may be, and their great advice with you. And I hope you feel the same way. That was certainly the case with this week's Encore episode, episode 257, with accessory designer Lisa, otherwise known as Lili Sadugi. You are likely familiar with Lili's ubiquitous style. The bejeweled headband is kind of her, her showpiece, if you will, along with bold earrings that are paired with those headbands and matching or coordinating sunglasses and hats. Really fabulous stuff. She also has launched wallpaper as she continues to grow her business. What you might not be as familiar with is Lili's own story about how she built that business. Now, in our conversation, Lili talks about her philosophy, which is really focused on two very important things that I want to highlight. First, constantly innovating. And second, the fact that she is unapologetically joyful and very bold in her creations. And that approach is really core to her brand. Now, as we think about personal brand in other contexts, I think this point is so important to remember. You don't have to be designing bejeweled accessories to understand that and to lean into what makes you, you. It's part of what really helps you differentiate yourself and your brand. Now, a few other topics in this conversation I wanna draw your attention to. Lily and I talk about how she manages her creativity and where inspiration comes from for her. We talk about effective collaborations and growing your business. 
and doing so at a pace that makes sense for you. Trying not to pay so much attention to the competition and instead think about what really makes sense for you and your family and where you want to be. She also talks a little bit about the expansion into storefronts and how it's helping her to connect with her target customer. I met um, Lili as part of our She Said, She Said podcast collaboration series with the Southern Couterie. Uh, we did that in early 2023. This was our second year for this collaboration. I'm really proud of those conversations. This is one of them. I'm going to be pulling a few more episodes and highlighting a few more things that we learned from that series before we launch our new episodes this fall. Um, in particular, I want to say just a word about one of our first episodes that I'll be launching. It is a fantastic conversation with Professor Amy Edmondson. Her new book is called The Right Kind of Wrong, The Science of Failing Well. It is fantastic, and it will be out uh, available to purchase on Amazon or in storefronts on September 5th. You will want to re want to pre-order the book, but most of all, don't miss my conversation with her, which is coming up in a few weeks. Be sure that you subscribe or follow She Said, She Said podcast so you won't miss it because it is fantastic. In the meantime, friend, here is my encore conversation with the fabulous Lili Saduki. Lili, welcome to She Said, She Said. Thank you. Excited to be here. Well, I'm so happy to have you. I'd love to start the conversation by talking about how you got your start. Absolutely. Um, you know, it, it. I love to think back about it because if you mapped it all out, it probably wouldn't have been this way. Um, but it just gave me such great experience that when I was ready to go out on my own, I felt super prepared and confident to do it. So I, you know, starting back early, early, I always did art. I loved art, drawing, photography, collage work, sculptures, anything. And so at a very early age, I knew that I needed to create. I didn't necessarily think it was going to be clothing or accessories or headbands or jewelry, but I loved to make things and appreciated building and, and colors. And I get to do that every day now. So I decided to study advertising and I thought that'd be a great mix with, you know, business and art. And I got into it and I thought, you know what? I want to do art. It was a bit too quantitative for me and I want to create and use my body as a canvas and wear things because it just, it made me happy and it was a fun thing to do every morning. I feel like there are two types of people, one that get up and they're like, oh, I have to put something on and get going. Or there's somebody who's like, I want to show how I feel today and I'm extra happy. So I'm going to put some sequin headband on. And so I went into fashion. I went to University of Texas, grew up in Dallas and knew I wanted to live on both coasts. So I started out on the West Coast mainly because I thought, you know what, I can afford a lot bigger place in LA versus New York on a starting salary. And I had a house with a yard and a garage, everything shared with a couple roommates and had an opportunity to work for a really small designer, which was great because I helped out with um, line sheets, with PR, with design, with production, running around, schlepping the fabrics, like doing a million things. And it gave me a good sense of what it takes to run a small company. 
And uh, later in New York, I had experiences at Rebecca Taylor, um, which was a very pivotal moment because I transitioned from working with the pattern makers and working in apparel to thinking about the embellishments and what goes on the apparel. And I started to do trims and I just fell in love with embellishments. You know, I had to go source like uh, we were doing a bag which had all these different vintage buttons around it. So I sourced like 50 different buttons, placed them, put them on, you know, put lace trims on things, did custom brooches. And I just felt like that was more sculptural and I enjoyed more than apparel. And uh, from there I transitioned, you know, into jewelry because it kind of felt like going from trims to jewelry, worked for Ippolita and she had a bunch of, it was a private label line, which they don't have anymore. So I got to work on all these amazing brands um, on accounts such as Banana Republic and Club Monaco and Anthropology. And uh, it was from there that I, I had an exploratory interview at J. Crew, thinking that I could do apparel, I can do accessories. And I remember meeting with Jenna Lyons and she said, she said we're thinking of doing jewelry. And at the time, I'd been doing jewelry for six months. I've been doing trims and clothing for a long time. And yeah. I just thought, I can do this. You know, it's a little bit of this, like, fake it till you make it. And when you have this confidence that you've been working in the fashion industry for long enough, you can figure it out. And I'd like to say I did. I was there for five years. And it was it's just such a momentous time to be at a heritage company like that and start the DNA of a new category at, in an iconic brand. Um, so that was really fun. It was all about making all these big, colorful statement pieces to go on the classic cashmere sweaters and blazers and pieces like that. And so um, then after that, kind of had some life-changing moments, you know, getting engaged, thinking, do I want to do my own thing, have more flexibility, work more, but have more flexibility? And uh, Tori Birch approached me. And I, I didn't really want to go back into the workforce because I was starting my own thing, but she was amazing working with entrepreneurs. She's like, you can come in three days a week, you can consult. So I did both, uh, which was, which so, was great. So, so you had, I'm sorry to interrupt you. So you had already launched your own brand at the point in which you started this collaboration with Tori Birch. Yeah, I had just started my own. It hadn't debuted yet. Um, at the same time, I was planning my wedding. So it kind of worked out. I was like doing, I'm, I'm always busy. I'm never taking a break. So I was starting it and um, it was just coming out. And you know, when you first start a brand and back then it was jewelry. Now I have like 15 categories. So there's no way I would have any time, but I could focus more on the jewelry. And I also worked for Tori, which supplemented a lot of me starting my own business too. Uh, and you know, I did that until I had my first son because it was being a new mother working for another company and doing your own line. You know, I think we all have to swallow the fact that we have to sacrifice things. I loved working there, but I just knew I couldn't give my full heart to all of those things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love for you to go back before we, before we dig into that aspect of your story and go back just for a second. Because did you study design after you got your advertising degree at the University of Texas? You studied design at before you actually launched into the business, yes? 
Yeah. So what I did was uh, between LA and New York, I um, went to Central St. Martin's in London, lived there and did a kind of a certificate program to which, you know what, in my life, I don't know if I'll ever have that much free time to just sit and sketch and learn. There's just so many outside things happening with your kids and your life that you don't get to sit and do that anymore. So I really appreciate that time in my life where I was able to kind of hone my skills a little bit into more of the trade. And a lot of it was focused on apparel. I ended up doing more jewelry. And honestly, my education was at these places where I worked. Yeah. Did you find that your aesthetic you you were fine-tuning your aesthetic during that period, or was the aesthetic something that had always been with you? Had you always gravitated toward the bright colors and the dopamine dressing, as we talked about before, and the sequins and all these things? Was that something that was always there, or was it something that you sort of found as you really reflected on how to create these great designs? That was always there. And I think that if you're lucky enough to express things that are truly you, it it makes it more authentic and um, it's easier to kind of express your DNA across different categories. So uh, those of you who can't see me right now, I am wearing a hot pink dress and the hot pink sequin headband. And I'm With sitting a hot in pink velvet chair. <laughs> yeah. chair in my lavender office. So <laughs> as you can tell, that is my lifestyle that I choose. It's not just designing for a certain person, um, but it's the person that wants to stand out. She is not a wallflower. She has fun with fashion and she wants to experiment and express joyful attitude, not only from the inside, but from the outside. Yeah. I love that. I absolutely love that. Let's talk about your pivot. Um, you made this, so you had, had, um, been working with Tori Bur Birch in collaboration. You had you were also simultaneously you had launched your brand. Now you're married. You've had a child. Maybe talk about the pivot into ex being exclusively Lily Sadu. Yeah, I um, it, it was a really tough choice because I was just getting my ground. You know, I I was at J Crew for over five years, so I really saw it through, and it it built into a really big moment in time. Um, and especially with J crew at the height with Mickey Drexler and Jenna Lyons and the company going public and private and public and Michelle Obama and her kids wearing J crew. It was just a really exciting time. And so I was excited to do that again and to do that at Tory. Um, and at the same time, I was having really amazing um, press coming out with, with the Lily Sadugi collection too. And so it was just, it was really exciting. And again, it's just the realization that like you, I needed to focus on something. I needed to focus not only on my child, but picking something. And obviously I picked my brand and, you know, so glad I did. Um, it's a little scary step because you had a secure paycheck at Tory and you kind of had a, a plan of where it could be. Um, but sometimes you just, you need to believe in yourself and follow your passions and, and do your own thing. I mean, I was doing jewelry. I never, ever thought that I expand to so many categories. Yeah. So you started with jewelry and maybe walk us through the expansion into these other 
categories and kind of how you thought about that. How did you scale the business? Because you were a small company. You weren't taking outside funding. I think you still don't take outside funding, if I'm correct, right? right? Um, Maybe talk a little bit about how you scale a business like that and how you broaden it into all these categories while staying true to your mission. The first thing I did was uh, establish good relationships with wholesalers. And my very first account was Neiman Marcus. And I'm from Dallas, so that's extra special. And we were able to go through traditional market during Fashion Week, accumulate all the orders and have the safety of of knowing, you know, what we've sold and use that to write our purchase order towards the factories. So we were really lucky and able to support, um, you know, the payment of the product because we had the orders from the wholesalers and then tack onto it our web orders. And so, you know, pre-COVID, we were probably half and half wholesale and direct post-COVID People learned how to buy direct. And so our direct business, our storefronts have really um, made us much bigger in that business, in the direct business. How do you know when to broaden into these categories? Because you could have 15, you could have 50, you could have eight, you you mean any any number. But how, how do you know? What's your advice for how do you know when you've got the right number, how do you know like when to innovate and to pivot further? Maybe give us some perspective on that. You always innovate. Never stop innovating. Don't rest on something that does well. What's the next thing? And that's what I'm constantly, constantly doing every hour of my life, thinking about how could I improve that? And it wasn't a conscious decision. Okay, let's expand all these categories. But For me, it's about adornment and embellishment. And whether it's on your ears or your neck or your eyes or your head, it is a sense of jewelry or trims if it goes back to kind of my my experience. And so I wanted to do jeweled glasses because I thought that would go really well with my matching earrings and necklaces and found someone and figured out what is not in the market. You know, one thing I learned from J. Crew is people were just feeding off of this really fun costume fashion jewelry, which was popular in like the fifties and the sixties and and the eighties. And there wasn't much of that moment. It was, it was kind of minimal and like layering chains and just bringing back these fun pieces at kind of an attainable price point, which is why I started my line. I thought there is room in the market. You know, you can find stuff at a super low price point and go to Zara, you can go to H and M or, for costume, you know, you could spend $500, $800, $1,000. Like, why not have something that's awesome quality that's, you know, not 20 but like $50, $80, maybe $100, and they're just big, fabulous pieces that you don't have to keep into a safe. You can wear every day. You don't have to save them for some event. You can wear them with your blue jeans out doing errands. And so it just kind of came organically because I'm thinking about what's next. I could do more than jewelry. And the headbands particularly came out because I had two kids in 17 months, didn't have time to do my hair. I grabbed like my daughter's, (laughs) you know, my three-year-old daughter's like little headband because it made me feel like I had more hair, made me feel a bit polished in a pinch, I like to say. And I just thought, wow, I can do better than this. And I couldn't find what I wanted. And it was more of 
something that I wanted and I wanted it more elevated and I wanted it more grown up and more fashion. And at the same time, I was working on a little Minodier clutch with, with little pearls on it. And I asked the factory who did not make headbands, do you think you could do this with a matching headband? And they're like, I don't know. Like nobody was making headbands. You know, you be, now you can go on Amazon, you could find a million options. But back then you really couldn't. There were just a few solid basic ones. And so we tried it. And that's the first time I made an investment prior to getting wholesale orders because there were no buyers at Neiman's and Saks and Bloomies and Nordstrom that bought headbands. They had to figure it out. It took them a and few And you have seasons. to have a category, right? When you're selling to a place like Neiman's, you have to have the scarf person, the headband person, the jewelry person, right? They're all different people, right? That is the biggest challenge of why. And I think about who else does what I do, who else focuses on accessories. It's not that many people because it is a lot. I'll, I'll meet Neiman Marcus and I'll meet like seven different buyers, the handbag person and the scarf and the gloves and the jewelry and everything. And that's why opening up stores is such a dream because everything can all be in one space versus spread out in each different sunglass section or jewelry section. So that's been super rewarding. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Lily, talk a bit more about your creative process, your current creative process. How do you keep your creativity supercharged? And what do you do when it runs low? Do you have a process or a methodology or something that you do that really helps spark your creativity? I think, you know, our offices are in New York and just being on the streets in the city is amazing to watch how people are wearing certain things and how they're mixing things and, and, you know, what they're doing and vintage and thrift is a huge, um, inspiration for me. And I've been doing that ever since I was a kid and finding things. And, and maybe it's the fact that I, I like to wear things that are unique um, you can go into a store and everybody could have the same Carolina Herrera dress to a luncheon, but the odds of someone picking the same headband, the same glasses, the same jewelry, the same handbag, the same belt is just, it's not going to happen. So I think it, it gives me that sense of joy. It's like a treasure hunt where you can really individualize your look. So I, I look at vintage stores. I look at museums because different color palettes are very exciting to me. Unexpected color palettes, like, you know, um, where I just did some wallpaper and mixing all these fun colors together was a super fun project. So I, I feel that I, you know, you have to kind of go with what your strengths are. And I would say, um, color and color combinations and embellishments are things that I've had a lot of experience doing and that I love doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. I um, Your story about how you pivoted during COVID, and it's really interesting. And I, as I was thinking about talking to you today, I wondered how much your approach to creativity actually fuels that notion of innovation and the ability to maybe make faster pivots. I mean, everybody was scared at first. And I think that was the first motivation. Oh my God, the stores have closed. What are we going to do? Who's going to buy anything? And, you know, luckily within our DNA, we are all about joy and happiness. And um, 
getting something to make you feel better because some I believe that when you look better, you feel a little bit better. You feel a little bit more confident. And we scrapped all of our marketing plans. You know, where's the email going to an occasion? Why, why are you buying a sequin headband? Like, what are you doing? And I, that's when I started to do a lot of live conversations on Instagram. And we called them happy hours. The end of the day, whatever you're stuck doing, working at home, closing your door, you might have three kids outside of that door that you're just like, be quiet, I'm on a meeting. Or you're, you know, we, we kind of left New York City and just to get some more fresh air because we couldn't really go anywhere. So whatever it is you're doing, you know, people were not as happy as they were. So we created the happy hours and we'd pick one product and put it half off for a few hours and have cocktails. And I would just get on and talk and just talk, not nothing planned. My daughter might be running around in the background, but people like really appreciated that. And if I could help to give something for people to look forward to, then that's, that's a success. So that was definitely a pivoting in marketing. And then I would say less of a pivot, but more of an expansion. We made matching face masks. And, um, you know, at first I didn't know what I should do. You know, do we do this? And as soon as the CDC said to wear a bandana, I just knew I can do way better than that. And we did. And there was such a demand for that. It was amazing customer acquisition the amount of um, nurses and doctors and, and people that reached out that, you know, we sent thousands of them to all their different departments and the, all the nurses and all the, the medical providers. And so it was, it was a really unanticipated time, but I felt that I was on super drive and motivated, like, we got to keep this alive. But we actually had a record year. We had a record year because I think maybe people weren't dressing, but they wore that headband. It made them happy. They're on Zoom. And, you know, what we make is so, it's it's such a happy piece to share. It literally frames your face. So it's easy to just photograph and share and um, people can talk about it and what's new. And um, it just, it just worked. It worked. And it, and I think going live with people resonated with our community. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Let's talk a little bit more about collaborations and how you think about some of the more recent ones that you've done. You have a couple of exciting ones, uh, one with Barbie, um, sort of, you know, reminiscent of your pink outfit today in your pink chair uh, and Roller yeah. Rabbit and probably others that I'm not uh, mentioning, but maybe advice for our audience for how you think about collaborations and how you pick good collaborative partners. Absolutely. I think that you look at the strength of your company and maybe what you don't have and what other company does have. So we've worked with a lot of print houses because we're more about embellishments. We do some of our own prints, but we're more about the hand sewing of the crystals and the beads. And so we worked with one of my earliest collaborations was J Crew, which was extra rewarding because I was there for years and and the head of crew cuts called who I worked with. She's like, would you be interested? I'm like, yes, I would. And we did it for kids and adults and jewelry and it was super fun. 
Um, and I was able to use some of their iconic plaids. It was during holiday time. So tartans and plaids, which are very much heritage fabrics for them, but jewel it up in a lily way. So that was a very fun mix because I felt like it was parts of both of us. And, you know, again, we've done stuff with Liberty where we use those just classic ditzy floral prints and just like, you know, punch them up with bright colored crystals. And it just felt like a fun remix. Um, so lots of, lots of them have been print houses. And then we even worked with, you know, solid and striped a swim company because that, that was also new. Like, let's do some swim bands. You know, that's, that's also expanding kind of categories. Let's do some bucket hats. Um, let's go beyond, you know, the headband and the jewelry and do other categories. Yeah. Is it just looking for a partner with a similar aesthetic or maybe some of the other considerations that you think about? I mean, J. Crew is probably a natural because you knew what you were getting into. You knew you knew that world. You knew those people. But some of these others where maybe, you know, this is someone new. Maybe how do you think about exploring that collaboration? And maybe even more to the point, things that you should walk away from. Right. If a, if a potential collaborator says X. You know, you're like, okay, yeah, this is not going to work for us. Maybe advice around that. We've walked away from a lot of them. Um, some of them have happened organically, like Love Shack Fancy. You know, Rebecca and I knew each other. Our kids were in the same class. And we're like, hey, let's do something together. And that's a different aesthetic than mine. It's more um, whimsy and romantic and Victorian. And, and, and I'm more like mid-century postmodern. So it was, it was a really fun mix. And... Um, you know, there's been other ones that haven't made sense, you know, like a, maybe another like swimsuit brand, but I'm just like, I'm not sure how that kind of gels because, you know, we're not necessarily all waterproof here. So it, it's been, it, it's fun. We've had a lot of people approach us and we're thinking, wow, I like wallpaper, you know, I didn't necessarily make that my top agenda. We were approached um, by new wallpaper and and then I got so excited and I thought, wait, how can I translate what we do into a two-dimensional piece? And I thought about our most popular crystal lily earrings. How can we draw them out like watercolor and make them? Because we've had these earrings since 2016, like they're part of us. And, you know, then I thought, let's do some colored gems. Let's draw colored gems. So it looks, and we made matching headbands. So we have a wallpaper that's navy with pink gems. Naturally, I had to make a headband that was like navy velvet with pink crystals on it. So you can match yourself to your home. Um, so definitely it's about thinking outside of the box. You know, I want to do more tabletop. I want to do more and different accessories too. So the sky's the limit. Yeah, that's so exciting. So thinking about the future and some of the things that you guys are engaged in, you've already started with storefronts. Maybe talk about why that approach. And at a time when, you know, economically, there's a whole different set of challenges that are going on out there. Maybe talk about why this makes sense at this moment. We tried our first store. We're coming up on almost two years and we're expanding. We have two more coming in the next six months. So it's really, really exciting. 
Um, you know, we started in Dallas and at Highland Park Village. We have a store in Newport and Lido Marina, as well as Bleecker Street in New York City. So we're kind of on both coasts and in the middle right now. And we have a Houston store opening up April 1st, so in less than a month, and as well in Nashville in the end of the summer, plus more coming too. So it's been a really exciting venture, and we've seen that um, you know more people still do shop in person than online. And while we do have a very strong direct business, we have found that we only need a little square footprint. It's a big dressing room because we don't need to have separate dressing rooms. It's all accessories. So it's a fun place to come with your friend or your sister and there's mirrors everywhere. And it's really important that we built a place where every piece is accessible. There's nothing behind a glass window and it's just fun to try things on and figure out what makes you happy. And so um, we're planning on expanding to a lot more and we've found so much joy in all the people that not only know us, but that discover us. They're walking down the street and then they find us. And I think that is has been great for customer acquisition, especially given all the changes in, um, in, in Instagram and Facebook and really reaching people. So it's while it's become more challenging with the algorithms changing in, in our social, um, adding that element, the personal element of brick and mortar has really helped us, you know, gain new people and get new people excited about the brand. Yeah. And really having that, that personal connection with your customer, which is a very special experience. I want to ask you about this topic of influence is one that runs through all of my conversations on this podcast. And as you probably know, it's a career and personal development podcast. And we're, of course, doing this great collaboration with the Southern Sea. But I'd love for you to talk about this topic of influence and how you think about your own influence in your company, how you're influencing your customer, and maybe beyond that. If you really pour your own aesthetic into something, you know, you can really have a good eye and and, and a DNA to your brand so that it is recognizable and it can expand to any kind of category. So I do things in the way that I live. You know, I like to get up in the day. I like to dress up, even if I'm going nowhere and just really showing people how to wear things. And I, you know, I'm kind of known for doing these big try-ons the day before a big uh, debut. You know, I have one like next week before we debut our next spring collection and showing people how to wear things that are, that are more realistic. I mean, we love those beautiful editorial shots, but at the end of the day, people are like, you make socks, how do you wear them? And then I would put them on with these cute little sandals with ankle straps. And they're like, that works. I'm going to try that. And I think it's about sharing community where whether it's me doing it or some someone who happens to buy something at the store and is so excited and does a whole video or a reel or a YouTube on like a try on. And I think that is the community that that works for us because people love to share and show how they wear things. You know, when you get a dress, maybe you put some shoes in a bag to it. But when you get a headband, you can focus 
a million different outfits to work. I mean, I do have a pink headband on, but maybe I was going to wear all beige colored and hot pink shoes. And so that my accessories are pink and everything else is neutral. There's so many ways that you can show it. So I guess I enjoy being a stylist as well. Yeah, I love that. I'm so grateful to have a chance to get to know you. And I really appreciate you spending some time with me today. Well, this is so much fun. I mean, I could talk about accessories all day long. <laughs> and um, I'm just trying to spread the, the movement that you should start with your accessories, build on that, and then get your, your basically your canvas is your clothes. And all your accessories are all the fun paint that you put around it. I love that, Lily. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. So maybe one final question. If you could go back and give young Lily one piece of advice as she was just launching, what would that be? Honestly, if I knew now um, what I didn't know, if I knew everything back then, I don't know if I would have started because it's a lot of work. And um, but it's so worth it. I wouldn't have it any other way. And I think that the biggest advice would be to realize that you don't know how to do everything. And while my strength is creation and innovation and, you know, perhaps marketing and, and, and different ways of that, I know that, you know, operations and sales and accounting are secondary to that. So surround yourself with good, smart, trustworthy people that can make you a success. And don't try to do all the things that you don't know how to do. You can learn from it. And I have learned a tremendous amount. But, you know, at the beginning, I've had support and continued support with my husband, who's been in finance, but he has helped with the overall strategy and the growth plan for stores and um, even figuring out how to build the website a decade ago. You know, just, just, um, don't put in a lot of money at the beginning. You can figure it out. And I think for me, the the growth, and because I didn't take any outside money, that I was at a healthy growth from the beginning. And I also had two kids at the beginning, and I wasn't in a rush to blow up very quickly. So, you know, I, I think a lot of brands make mistakes that they feel like they have to have this many followers. They have to grow. They have to have stores in the first five minutes. I didn't open up stores for years later. And thank goodness I did it right after COVID. I was looking at stuff right before. And I think that it's more important to grow at a steady pace than to try and explode because then it's really hard to scale down if it doesn't work out. Yeah. And to grow at your own pace is one of the other things that I hear you saying. That's really great advice. Yeah. Lily, thank you so much. Love having you as part of this collaboration series with the Southern Sea. And I'm really excited to share this conversation with listeners. Great. Thank you for having me. Of course. Hey, friend, I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Lily. As you think about your own brand in whatever career or business you may find yourself, what are those particularly unique elements that are helping you differentiate? If you're having trouble nailing this down, you might ask a few folks for help. It can be a great exercise to get some qualified outside help. In the meantime, thanks for joining us. I would love your feedback on this or any of our She Said, She Said podcast episodes. You can send me an email at info at she said dot media 
or take a screenshot on your phone and tag me on Instagram. You'll find me at Laura Cox Kaplan. Until next week, take care and I'll talk to you again real soon. She Said, She Said podcast is a weekly production of She Said, She Said Media.